Jerry. One, two, oh, one, two, three. He's not one. The human serviette. And you're listening to CITR Radio, FM 102, Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And it's time right now for the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Danny's Box of Surprises with... Nardwar to Human Serviette. Thank you, Danny and Danny's Box of Surprises from Tel Aviv, Israel. Check out Danny and his other recordings on SoundCloud. SoundCloud.com slash Danny dash Cohen dash three. That's SoundCloud.com slash Danny dash Cohen dash three. For Danny's Box O Surprises. Thanks for sending that to me, Danny. Today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, interviews with Brother Ali from Minneapolis, Minnesota, and the Flatliners from Canada. Yes, today on the Nardwarta Human Serviette Radio Show, the Flatliners and Brother Ali. And to start you off right now, and to prepare you for Brother Ali, here's something also from the state of Minnesota. It's MC Scat Cat with the Scat Cat Strut on the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. With so much charisma Got more moves than a mutant ninja Turtle that is And I'm doing a scat strut To hell with John Travolta and the disco duck They call me scat cat For the ass floor maniac Removing my hip is like an aphrodisiac Swinging and winging I'm just doing my own thing Girls don't jump me Give me room to get funky Step to the dance floor Bust a little spin Shut up kid This is a new dance So shake your butt And get a load of what it's like To be doing a scat strut You can't bust it. Homeboy, facts. 
are you? I am Brother Ali, sir. Brother Ali, welcome to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Thank you. I've been waiting all my life to hear you say that, man. Brother Ali, you love black exploitation, don't you? Um, the I, movies. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for clarifying. Um, yeah, I do. I enjoy those movies. And tell me about black exploitation, if you could, please, Brother Ali. For instance, this particular soundtrack here. This is an important movie. What can you tell the people about it? Well, this is Melvin Van Peebles, uh, Mario's dad. And he was, um, when we talk about doing things independently, he wrote, he used to write black exploitation movies for Hollywood. And he was, he wrote a, a like a, he did a joint called Watermelon Man, like some of the worst stuff you could imagine. Um, but, you know, they would always hire African-American people to do that stuff. So after doing that, he wanted to make a movie that black people could be feel good about where there's like a black hero that like, you know, screws the man over and everything. And so he got together and it was like an all black or mostly black cast. It was like black and brown cast in LA where black and brown people are, you know, uh, said that there's wars and stuff like that. So he got a cast of people together and made this movie. And, um, it's incredible, man. At the end of it, like he, he, and he started it himself. Um, there was like no union involved. He literally got cameras, literally got all the people. He was like training people how to do stuff. And it was an enormous hit. Um, he started at one theater and actually his son, Mario made a song about, or, or excuse me, a movie about the movie that his dad made. Um, and I, I can't remember what it was called. It was like a, 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 a flip on this title. But yeah, this is amazing. This is really dope. This is the first black exploitation movie. And I wanted to give you a gift here of another black exploitation movie, Mr. Dolomite, Rudy Ray Moore. Have you seen this one at all, Dolomite? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I have, I have a lot of Dolomite records. As a matter of fact... You already have this record? I don't have this record. I don't have this Come one. on, be honest. No, I don't. I don't. But I, but I do collect records. He, he also was really independent because he was doing a style of comedy that nobody wanted to do. And he actually, Rudy Ray Moore created his own label to be able to do that. And he had, he recorded what was called party records. So he'd have people over to his house 
get everybody drunk, mic the room, and then he'd come out and do his routines. He'd have a band on, you know, playing on the side, and he'd come out and do his routines. And he had a whole cast and like a whole stable of artists too. He had a woman called the Queen Bee. That you actually hear her on the NWA album. He'll just talk about your funky ways. That's from from her. She's got one um, um, a female version of this, where it's her in this like dress, and all these naked dudes are around her. You know what I'm saying? Which is like it's funny because I have that record. I keep it turned around because one day my daughter was downstairs and was like, "Daddy, they're in their underwear." Oh man! But um, <laughs> but he also there was another one. Gregory Tut was one of his artists, but he had a he. This was all independent as well. And a lot of rappers got their early stuff from Dolomite, from Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah, we did movies too. Yeah, this is great stuff, man, because it's like people being empowered by their own culture. You know what I mean? And telling their own stories. And even if they even if they told them in kind of a bugged out way, that it's still like, I love seeing the actual people be empowered to tell their story rather than somebody that doesn't come from their culture trying to tell their story. These, this is the best of black exploitation as opposed to somebody white trying to make money off black culture. Brother Ali, I want to take it back to Minneapolis, Babes in Toyland. <laughs> yeah, no, Babes in Toyland. Lori Barbero. What can you tell the people about Lori Barbero, Babes in Toyland? Yeah, she's amazing. Uh, matter of fact, she was out South by Southwest the last time I saw you there. And she's super awesome, like amazing, um, you know, amazing drummer. Punk rock drummer. Yeah, she's an incredible drummer. And now she runs venues and stuff. It's dope. Like, women drummers. See, the theme in all of this stuff here is people who society looks at as being powerless, but commanding power for themselves. And so she's an incredible kick-ass drummer. And she, like, drove their band. And that's Minneapolis royalty. Minneapolis punk rock. But Minneapolis foundation. Lips Inc. I love the Lips Inc. Tell me about Lips Inc. and the importance to Minnesota. Um, well, this is not me on the cover. You might think that it is, but it's not. Um, my friend Ant, who, who produced all my early records, he has this record. And uh, I think there were some jokes about me in this record one time. To be honest, I don't know a whole lot about... Funky Town, recorded or at least written in Minnesota and sung by 1976 Miss Black Minnesota. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Won't you take me to Funky Town? Yeah, that's their joint. And... Um, it's interesting because one time I, I, we were on tour and I came back and, you know, we go to all these other cities and people are like dressed. When you go to big cities, people like dress up. When you go to Minnesota, like people do not care what they look like. Like they think they do, but it's, it's very frumpy. And so one time I made a joke on tour that it's actually frumpy town. And I love that Funky Town recorded in Minnesota. I mean, who would have known? Foundation for disco. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm saying, uh, you know, if you think about the fact that like Prince and, you know, the Morris Day and the Time and all those guys, like they really created a new type of funk. Then it was their, their own lane of funk and it was Minneapolis funk. And out of that, you got Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis. Out of that, you got Mint Condition and, you know, a lot well, of You people. worked with the Mint Condition. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is pretty amazing. How'd you hook up with them? Mint condition. I mean, that's going way back. Yeah. Well, me and Stokely Williams, who's the, he's an amazing drummer, but he's also the singer. We were in a jazz band together that used to tour in Europe, in uh, France. And um, they would, they, you know, would uh, go off the head. They would improvise. And they always have an MC that performs with them. And I was one of them. Boots Riley did it for a while from the coup. And right now there's an amazing sister named Desdemona from Minnesota. That's their MC on their band now. And I would like to ask you again about Minneapolis their Brother Ali. Let's do it again. Some Minneapolis old school. What can you tell the people about MC Scott Cat? <laughs> <laughs> this is dope. <clears throat> Shout out Derek Delight. MC Scat Cat and I don't even know if you know this brother but MC Scat Cat is in my Take Me Home video. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> but you, you, you got it on track though. This brother um, 
he's known around Minnesota as Derek Delight. And he was um, on the, the, it's called the People Station, KMOJ is the black station in town. And he was a DJ and a rapper and he was, you know, could really do it all. Now he works for NPR. But there was a, a couple years of his life where he was Scat Cat. And if you watch my Take Me Home video, there's a part where I'm in an office building and there's, you know, a couple dapper young brothers walking around and he's one of them. So shout out Derek Delight. That's dope. That's really cool that you have this. Immortal Rap Masters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Immortal Rap Masters. Man, yeah. That's, um, DMG. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, they put... Ah, I'm not going to be able to bring the name of that record to my head right now. But, but yeah, they were incredible and they were really important for the Minnesota scene. Another band, another group of people that are important to the Minnesota scene, the Headshots Mixtapes. Yes. yes. This is what started Rhyme Series. That's, that's really dope that you have this. Beyond Sluggo. What can you tell people about the headshots? How did this start at all? Well, the headshots was all of the best MCs, DJs, graph writers, and B-boys and B-girls from the south side of Minneapolis. Most of them were from south side. Um, the abstract pack was from St. Paul. And they actually renamed it Shots Paul because of the headshots. Um, but, yeah, this is, the, this is what started Rhyme Series. And it was a crew or a collective of people that used to get together and make music together, pool their resources. I think they were really inspired by Wu-Tang, by their business model. And then this crew actually grew into the label. But these tapes, what's dope about these tapes is that they would put their music on one side but then on the other side this is pre-internet days obviously so they would have the um they would take something you know important like there was a battle between hobo junction and hyro and that was on the wake up show on sway and text wake up show in california and we all heard about it in minnesota but we didn't know how to get it because you know it wasn't mp3s and the internet and everything so they took that footage or you know audio from that battle and put it on one side of the tape because every hip-hop head wanted to buy that and then they put their music on the other side that was the first headshots tape so you you would get this and you'd be listening to one side and then once you flip the tape over you're listening to local cats and they're selling these for five bucks and this actually built our whole thing and um all of the young artists that are inspired mostly by atmosphere to come out and be independent you know what i'm saying shout out mac miller and macklemore those guys and you know wiz khalifa and like that, that model that got set up by this, this is the beginning of it. Brother Ali, you love promo items, don't you? I don't know, do I? <laughs> promo items? Promo items. Dolls? I don't know what you're trying to insinuate here, brother. No, dolls. Like, for instance, have you seen your good buddy here, the Ghostface Killer doll? Oh, man. Yes. Yeah, yeah. We, we sold this in our store for a little while. Yeah. How'd it do? Oh, man, it did great. Everything Ghostface does great. Yeah, me and Ghost did a, um, we toured together for a little while, and so like yeah. in a minute. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we have the MF Doom Friendly yeah. Ghostface Killer Doll. Yes, yes sir. And I have a gift for you, the Chuck D Doll. Have you seen this one? Uh, I've never seen this one. That's crazy. This is like a big brother to me. This guy's like a mentor to me. I just talked to him on the phone last night. Um, and your wife is friends with his wife too, right? That's right. His wife is actually um, a professor named um, Dr. Gay Teresa Johnson. She's an incredible professor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was thinking promo items and dolls. There's Ghostface Killer. I don't know why they got Ghost so much taller than Chuck. Like Ghost is a little more. It's funny because Ghost that doesn't really look like Ghost. That looks more like Brian Pumper, who I'm not supposed to know who that is. Don't tell nobody I know who that is. But. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, Chuck looks more like, uh, he kind of looks like the Sims video game version of Chuck D. 
So here we have ghost face killer, Chuck D, a ghost face killer doll, a Chuck D doll, and of course, what do we have but a Jake One keychain. Nice. This is my brother. That's my friend that we did the uh, we did the, uh, this new album together. Yeah, this is cool. I think this was a yeah white van music. This was a promotional item for for his album, and that's what, the first time that me and him ever got to get down together. And I was thinking, okay, keychain, that's pretty good. Doesn't quite compare to the dolls there. No, but you know, Jake, Jake kind of just looks like an old Jewish man. I don't think he'd make a very good doll. <laughs> However, I thought I would get you some early Jake. Have you got Jake's early recordings at all? I got some of them. Are you, you, um, matter of fact, he was connected to. I knew you were gonna find a way to connect me to Canada. He was he was down with a Vancouver label uh, that with um, I'm trying to remember the name of the label. Battleaxe? No, not Battleaxe. There was another one. Um, Swollen members represent. Yeah, yeah, yes, yep. Shout out Swollen members. Um, man, what was the name of of he was he was oh man it was like I, I can't remember the name of it but he was he did some stuff on a label from Vancouver. He loved crate digging in Vancouver. I know Jake One loved crate digging. Definitely that. And so I thought I would dig through the crates and try to get you some music. Have you got this particular Jake One joint? No. Jake One's first record. Yeah. Is that his first one? His first record on his own label, Conception Records. Conception. Yeah, I thought Conception... No, that's right. Conception was based out of Seattle. I always thought that it was based out of Vancouver, but there were artists. That's okay. We love it when you confuse stuff with Vancouver. <laughs> but there was an artist on there from Vancouver that Jake produced a beat. And back before I knew who he was or before we ever met, I used to, that was part of my set. Because like before Serato, you would use other people's records. Before you had your own records, you had to rap over other people's records. And there were instrumentals that I used to rap over during my live set that were on Conception Records. And the artist was from was from Vancouver. So a gift for you, Jake One's first record on Conception. Thank you so much, man. And I also thought, Jake One Love, Keychains. Here's the first record that Jake One produced, Eclipse. This is, this is it. Isn't Eclipse from here? I'm not sure. I just know that he produces the first record he produced. Yeah, this is really dope because several times in my life I lost everything I own. I know you're a collector, so I know that probably, you probably know how much that can hurt. But... um. Yeah, and I think this might be it. I think this is the record that I used to rap on with his, with his beat. Yes. Eclipse, Jake One. Yes, sir. And Brother Ali, a quote for you. My wardrobe is jeans and faded shirts. But you want new teeth? New teeth. Oh. <laughs> um, no, yeah. <laughs> Me and Sage Francis. My, my friend Sage Francis. Um. There's somebody in his life, there's an elder person in his life that hated her smile for her whole life. I don't know if I'm allowed to say who it is, but he paid for them to get those veneers. And so we had this big debate about whether or not those were cool or not. And at the time, I was like, yeah, I want those. Yeah. <laughs> brother Ali, here you are in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Yes, sir. And you are brother Ali. Now, I think Vancouver Ali, I got to get you a gift. Here is a program guide from Muhammad Ali playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. Wow. Not playing, doing a fight. Yeah. And has interviews with him and everything. This is incredible, man. Because you're totally into the Ali stuff, aren't you? Yes. When I, my, when I, wasn't, I wasn't born into a Muslim family, and so I, I became a Muslim. I converted to Islam when I was 15. And when names were discussed for what my name should be when I converted, the name Ali kept coming up, and some one person was really adamant that that should be my name. And 
Ali, most the Ali's, all the Ali's in the world, it's like the fifth most popular name in the world. They're all named after Prophet Muhammad's cousin. Peace be upon him, and may Allah be pleased with Ali. But I didn't know that at the time, and so I'm thinking of Muhammad Ali. So in a sense, the reason why I accepted that name is because of this man. He's one of the greatest heroes that we've ever had in modern times. An exhibition fight he did in Vancouver in 1972. It's the program, guys. You can check it out. This is an exhibition fight. So was this when he was not allowed to fight? It was in 72. I think it was just for fun. There's a whole interview with him so you can figure it out like what's going on there. This is amazing, man. So you're into the Ali collectibles, aren't you? I am. What can you tell the people about the different Ali collectibles that are out there? For instance... Mr. Tooth Decay. I have this record. Matter of fact, a, a fan from, from England, from the UK, sent me this record. And um, he just mailed it to me. Like I just, I just went into the office one day and it was in the mail. This is dope. Howard Cosell is on here. Um, Frank Sinatra is on here. Uh, and Mr. Tooth Decay. That's right. Played by Howard Cosell. Uh, 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 yeah. No, 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 no. Howard Cosell is the narrator. But yeah, this is an amazing... Ozzy Davis, I think, is Mr. Tooth Decay. That's an amazing fan gift. Oh, my God. Yes. Yeah, because this is not for you. I'm just showing this to you. Yeah, you better hold on to this. I'm not going to currency you. You better hold on to this. Ah, boo. <laughs> but um, shout out Currency. He was, always, he was nice to me. I did some shows with him. But um, yeah, this is a dope-ass record, man. That's really cool you got this. Now, what about this other Ali thing? Have you encountered this at all? No. I am the greatest, Cassius Clay. Wow, look at him, man. That's a time. That's a time when black people weren't supposed to be feel good about themselves. You know what I mean? And and when he said, "I'm the greatest," "I'm pretty," the world took it to mean the non-white world around the world. And, and they say that he's the most famous human being on earth, and I believe that to be true. Um, when he was saying, "I'm pretty," he's saying that we are pretty, and that's that's you know. As Albano, I can relate to that. You know what I mean, and that's that's one of the things I love so much about him. But look how gallant he is, man. He kind of looks, he kind of dressed like Cornell West a little bit. He got the, but he got the long jacket and the the shoes. Look how fly the shoes are. Always clean, man. Man, this is amazing, dude. That's crazy. That's cool that you have this. You mentioned him earlier, Sage Francis. Mm -hmm. You had a few battles with Sage Francis, didn't you? I did. He's the only person that ever beat me. What are the mind games involved in battling somebody like Sage Francis? I understand you wouldn't talk to him ahead of time. No, when I first met him, I was there I was there for blood. And Slug and Idea actually took me there. I rode to Scribble Jam with Idea, my dear friend Idea. Uh, you know, God bless him. And we got there, and on the way down there, we're listening to all the rappers that were going to be at Scribble Jam, and I thought all of them sucked, except for Sage Francis. I was like, all right, that guy can rap. He's also, you know, some of these guys, they can't really rap. They're just, so they try to go way left because of the fact they can't rap. But Sage was somebody, I'm like, okay, this one can rap. Is he going to be there? And they're like, yeah. So when I met him, I was super standoffish, and I was just sizing him up. And he did play mental mind games. He really, I feel like that's how he won, because... When we were about to start the battle, he was just kind of hanging out and acting friendly, and he had a wig on, you know. So we, you know, he wasn't. He was trying to come off on, um, you know, not confrontational and, and everything. And he said, um, "What is what's scissor? Because that's when sipping on some scissor. That's when that was out." So he was like, "What is what is scissor? Does anybody know what that is?" And I'm like, "It's syrup. It's cough syrup, you know. And they put it in Sprite or whatever, and it gets you high, like." And um, 
when we got into the battle, we battled, and he hit me with the best albino line there's ever been. He said, fat man, confused black man with the Michael Jackson disease. And I thought I had a good one for him. I told him, scribble jam, want to prove you were here, give you a footprint in your chest as a souvenir. But, and then he hit me with that, and I was like, oh, that hurt. But then at the end, he, handled, he ended it with, cut your blood and sip on the scissor. Like, so he, I told him what that meant 30 seconds ago not realizing that he was going to turn around and use it against me. So fuck you, Sage Francis, and I love you. It's my friend. And we became really dear friends. Have you done any battles at the Loring Pasta Bar at all? Oh, man. Unfortunately, yes, I did. I heard that Bob Dylan used to live above the Loring Pasta Bar. I heard that, too. I heard that, too, and I did do a battle there one time. Vibes good? <laughs> no. It was, the worst. it was the most uninspiring thing I've ever been a part of. But but my friend Budatai... Um, I have a friend in Budatai who they called, somebody called him fat, and he pulled his shirt off, and it, it was dope. It was Incredible Hulk style. Yeah, exactly. Have you been to Jaime's Records? Yeah, many times. Because you love the collecting. That's one of the best stores, isn't it? Jaime's is, I would say Jaime's and Cheapo are the two best, yeah. But Jaime's, you can find things, seems like a lot of times the stuff is a little bit more rare. And if you know them, then they give you the good prices. And I want to ask you a bit about digging. This particular fellow right here is inspiring to you, isn't he? Mr. Peter Ustinov. Wow. I don't know. Yeah, this is dope. This is the guy that said that um, terrorism is the war of the poor and warfare is the terrorism of the rich. Yeah, Peter Ustinov. That's crazy. This is dope. I've never seen this. And you met most deaf at MF Doom's merch table? Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah, I did. I did. What happened there? That's pretty amazing. MF Doom, most deaf? Yeah, well, I, I toured with MF Doom. Oh, man. I don't, yeah. It, I toured with MF Doom. And um, you, I, the world knows that most deaf is a huge MF Doom fan. And so he came to the show and he kept trying to get Doom's attention. And Doom was acting like he didn't know who most was. And it was weird. It was kind of strange. But, um, but Doom, he didn't. He does. He absolutely does. But he's just so in his own mind. You know, he's so much in his own headspace that... Uh, and you really were tour- touring with MF Doom? It wasn't an imposter? No, it was really MF Doom. And he really was getting on the stage every night. And he really was spitting his songs. And he, that's the thing about him. He really can perform at a high level. Um, so when he did that stuff that he did, you know, and he did do it. I was there, too, when... You know, when there was he was on stage and his mic wasn't connected to anything and there's lyrics coming out. I've never been there when somebody else was pretending to be Doom. But that's it's not that he's lazy and it's not that he can't perform. It's really that he wants it to be about the music to where anybody could be Doom as long as the music is Doom. Yeah. So back to the merch table. (laughs) Back to the merch table. It was just I, I don't know. I think most was having a rough night. But Moses is a character. We're not. We're not dear friends. He's he's really nice to me, uh, and I wish we were closer friends. But he he had a rough night. <laughs> and he met you because you were signing autographs when he thought he was supposed to sign the autographs. I have no idea what you're talking about. <laughs> I thought most deaf was going to be signing some autographs, and some girls came up to you and said, "Hey, it's Brother Ali," and left most deaf for Brother Ali. Does that happen often? No, no. I think it just happened. He wasn't performing. He wasn't performing. This is crazy because I, I, I'm a I'm a fan of most stuff, but yeah, he was um, he was you know somebody just happened. This girl just happened to notice that he was there, and um, you know asked him to sign. He, well, no, they made him wait in line. That's what it was. It just it wasn't because he's most deaf. Like he's one of the greatest of our time. You know what I mean? And um, and I have a I have a 
tape, my first tape that I did called Rites of Passage, I'd sound like most deaf. He was the last rapper as an adult to still influence me where I could hear some of his style on my own, which is why I never sold that tape again. That's why I, when that tape, I only made a thousand copies and when they were gone, I never made them again because I'm like, that's not entirely me. I'm kind of biting his thing and I felt weird about that. But yeah, he was just happened to be there. Doom didn't really acknowledge him like he probably should have and then he went to go get some doom merch and he went up there with a bunch of money he was like give me everything on the table and the lady didn't recognize him because we weren't allowed to sell our own merch so she made him go wait in line which is foul you know and that was in new york they should have known better so he's waiting in line and this girl was like are you most deaf and he was like yeah like he was trying to just be you know to himself but she's like can you sign this i had just gotten off stage so he was signing it and she was like in the middle of signing it she's like oh brother ali like she came to see me you know and she brought it to me and it was like his start he had started to write his name and it was a scribble because she took it away from him now that's a story that sounds like i'm clowning him and i'm not i'm not because he's a hero to me he's a legend to me but that that happened z trip hooked you up with whip or whip Yes, he did. He did. He did. Uh, How did he find Whipper Whip first? Well, I, I, I always ask about. Um, I used to uh, a lot, even a lot more a few years ago. But I used to really be uh, attached to those circles of old school guys. And I always asked about him because me and Aunt made a song that was based on their routine and wild style. So I wanted to get him to come and like record it with me. And I asked about him in New York, and nobody knew where he was. And some of those guys are in jail or they're not around anymore or whatever. But it turns out that he was living in Detroit. Um, and doing really well, like, you know, married and doing great. And um, so Z Trip, he showed up on Z Trip's record. So I called Z Trip and Z Trip hooked me up with the, yeah. But yeah, that's um, that's the uh, Fantastic Romantic Five. They're incredible. To me, they didn't get as much, um, I would say they didn't get the same accolades that Grandmaster Kaz's crew got, you know what I mean? But they were every bit as dope in my mind. Brotherly, winding up here, I have a quote from Slug. I drink, I fight, I fuck. That, well, yeah, he, I don't think he does any of the... I, I'm, that's how he prepares for a tour. Oh, well... How do you prepare for the tour? <laughs> I drink, I fight, I fuck. Brother Ali. I eat, pray, and love. <laughs> what are the differences between Brother Ali preparing for a tour and Slug? Well, there, there's less and less differences. Um, you know, Slug is in a different... He probably said that 10 years ago, you know. And now he's a family person and takes great care of himself and everything. So it's he's in a very different space. But I would say, um, you know, Slug had an opportunity to... He could have been a star um, in the mainstream. Like, you know, he was the one person that I've known in the underground. Everybody in the underground says they're underground by choice because they're so ethical and that's a lie. Most of us are underground because they look like me. They look like Sage Francis. They look like Idea. Like, we're never going to be like that. You know what I mean? Um, but he's the one person that MTV was begging him. You know, the big radio networks were begging him, just please do this and make a video for this song and do all this stuff and let us make you famous. You'll be famous. And he was the one person that chose not to, but he still got it. He still gets attention. Like he's Eminem, you know, he chose not to be Eminem, but he still gets that kind of attention, um, particularly from women. And so he had, you know, some years, and like I said, that's 10 years ago now, but he had some years of partying. But I will say, not only did he honestly make that choice, but he also made the choice to look out for his friends and make sure that every opportunity he got, that somebody else got. So I would say that people who are following his his um, 
blueprint you're not really following it unless you a pay credit to the people that gave you the micronauts was a group from minneapolis that was doing this in a way before atmosphere and so when he went on tour uh i self-divine from the micronauts just went on tour with them again he makes sure to keep the people who inspired him make sure that they always have an opportunity and then people that came along after him like me like idea like greaves and budo like you know blueprint always make sure that we have a chance too so that's what his blueprint really is is to make sure that that you share with the people before you and the people after you brother ali back again to minneapolis you can never go back to minneapolis enough can you no man it's beautiful Prince. Have you heard Prince rap at all? Bob George on the Black Album. Have you heard Prince's rapping? That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think? He's good. He's good at everything. He's like one of those people like he just was, God just made him a music. Like he's an embodiment of music. And it's crazy because everything he does is so like full of sex. Like even his, uh, <laughs> even his Jehovah Witness music is like <laughs> full, of, full of sex. <laughs> have you ever met him at all? Or have you ever expected him to jump up on stage with you at all? No, sir. I've never met him. Um, I'm, you know, I know a lot of people that are obviously connected to him. I heard a story that the head of the current, which is the NPR station that Derek Delight, Scat Cat works on, I heard a story that he went to Prince's house and was like, you got to hear Brother Ali. And um, so he put on a song called Fresh Air. And the first line of this, it's a song was celebrating life and celebrating success in life. So he's thinking, okay, you know, Prince is on his Jehovah Witness thing. He'll love this. So the first line is, I'm the luckiest son of a bitch that ever lived. And he tells me that Prince told him after that line, please turn that off. You know, I don't allow cursing in my house. He turned it off and wouldn't let him play anything else. He's like, no, we might have edited versions of stuff. And he was like, no, he's already disappointed me. So, <laughs> ah, Boom, that's a compliment. <laughs> yeah, from the guy that made sexy motherfucker and all that, yeah. Well, I'm not going to disappoint you, Brother Ali. Lastly, with another gift here, some... Paris, because you love the Paris, don't you? I do love Paris, yeah. I do love Paris. You, know, you bought this at Jaime's? No, but I know this. I know this record. I, I've never had it, but this is dope. Paris, um, I would say, you know, there's people that get that, that have that iconic personality. And so they are recognized. And then other people don't have that iconic personality, but they're every bit the artist. And I think, you know, my dear friend Chuck, I think he's got that iconic personality and look and brought the music together and he's a certain type of leader but paris was out around the same time and actually was making music that was every bit as revolutionary and every bit as challenging and militant this might be the most militant rapper there's ever been i, I think that i would have to, to give him that that title and he's amazing his music is dope he's incredible this is really really fresh thank you for this oh no problem thank you brother ali yeah man brother ali have you bought your horse yet I haven't bought a horse. <laughs> I haven't bought a horse, but I lo I'm a lover of horses. Yeah. Well, thanks much, Brother Ali. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all? I want to shout out to some friends of mine named Isabel and Zaya. I love you guys. Because they love you, and they watch you all the time. Well, thanks so much. Why should people care about Brother Ali? Why should people care? I just have a unique position in, in the world. You know what I mean? Like all, most people in our society have had to choose a team to, you know, whether it's race or class or culture or religion or anything. And I've lived a lot of my life on both sides. And so I have a unique perspective on things that not many people are fortunate enough to have. And I've been loved by people on all sides of the spectrum. And I love people on all sides of the spectrum. And um, so aside from rapping what I think is very well, that's what I offer the world. Well, thanks much, Brother Ali. Keep on rocking in the free world and do, 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 do.
straight to his face But lately I changed, nowadays I embrace it all Beautiful ideals and amazing flaws Gotta care enough to give a testament About the deeply depressing mess we're in It's home so we better make the best of it I wanna make this country what it says it is Still dreaming the vividest living color No matter how many times my love been smothered Who's ever above us won't just let us suffer All of this struggle and gotta amount to something This is a letter to my countrymen, especially those my age and younger than. We're up against an ugly trend. Everybody hustling, don't nobody touch their friends. No group singing and dancing, no anthem, nobody holds hands in. Instead, they give you a handheld and make you show the life's burden by your damn self. One thing that can't be debated, power never changed on its own, you gotta make it. That's why community is so sacred. That's the symbol that we make when we raise fit. We don't really like to talk about the race thing. The whole grandparents used to own slaves thing. Pat ourselves in the back in February. Looking at pictures of Abe Lincoln and the great king. But the real picture's much more embarrassing. We're still not even close to really sharing things. The situation of oppressed people shows what we feel it means to be a human being. What does it mean to be American? I think the struggle to be free is our inheritance. And if we say it how it really is, we know our lily skin still give us privilege. Advantage is given to the few that are built into the roots of our biggest institutions. That's the truth in life we gotta choose. Do I fight in the movement or think I'm entitled to it? This is not a practice life, this is the big game, we gotta attack it right. Each one of us is headed for the grave, this old crooked world won't be saved by the passive type. This is a letter to my countrymen, not from a Democrat or a Republican, but one among you, that's why you call me brother. Ain't scared to tell you we're in trouble, cause I love you. Tell me I'm a dreamer, they ridicule They feel defeated, old, bitter and cynical Excuse me, but I see it from a different view I still believe in what a driven view could really do I know that the masses want to sleep And they would just rather hear me rapping to the beat But I want to pass this planet to my son A little better than it was when they handed it to me So I wrote a letter to my countrymen I'll be happy if it only reaches one of them Reporting live, A-L-I, your brother Morning in America, dreaming in color My dear brother Ali I think you know deep down in your soul That something, something just ain't right You don't want to be just well adjusted to injustice And well adapted to indifference You want to be a person with integrity Who leaves a mark on the world Say when you go that you left the world just a little better than you found it. I understand. I want to be like that too. And you're still listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. You just heard right there, Brother Ali with Letter to My Countrymen. And before that, an interview with Brother Ali. Coming up, an interview with The Flatliners. Right now, going to play something by The Reminders from Boulder, Colorado. Friends of Brother Ali. And then going to kick into something by Naive from Russia. 
thank you, Tim from Rocket from Russia, for this amazing split LP. An original punk rock artifact, 1990, Russia, Naive. So right now, here are the reminders, and then Naive on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show!
You're listening to the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. And we have a caller on the line right now. Hello, caller. Are you there? I'm here. Who are you? I'm, I'm not really sure anymore. Um, but I, my name is Chris. I play in a band called The Flatliners. But that's a really existential question. I'm not sure I can fully answer at this time. Chris, That's well, a deep. Uh, welcome to the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show. Thank you. And I, I finally got it. I've been calling for years. And I just played a special request for you by me right there. Naive, a band called Naive from Russia, 1990. Naive. Perfect. Now, I played that because I think I saw that you guys were in Russia, your band of Flatliners. We were in Russia last year, and when that song came out, I was three years old. And what's interesting about your tour of Russia is that it was an actual tour. You did an actual tour. Like, I know some bands will fly in for, like, one date in Moscow, but did you really do an actual Russian tour? And how long is a tour? Um, we did a Russian tour. We toured around on sleeper trains and everything and taxi cabs and the insane language barrier and everything. We did five shows. Because I was looking at the dates. Do you could go through me? You could go through them with me? Because looking at them, St. Petersburg. What were the different places you played? Moscow. Can you go through them? We did St. Petersburg. We took a 16-hour like coal engine train ride to Vologdat, middle of nowhere. We were probably inside that venue for less than an hour, played, and then had to catch our train to get to Moscow. We spent the next two days in Moscow, and then we played in Rabinsk, 
after that. And no one, no one knew who we were in Rubinsk. I just knew that a band from North America was there. It's pretty cool. Now, had other bands done this circuit? Because I'd mentioned some of those bands fly into Moscow for a show and fly out. Was this unusual that you did a bunch of shows? Because I see you also played Istra Russia? That's right, yeah. We, uh, I, I, I think we're of a handful of smaller punk bands that have traveled there and, and just had to do more than one show to make it work. But it was, it, we're, we're glad we did it. It was really cool. Um, it's kind of, it's kind of disheartening to just go in for one day to somewhere you've never been before and have to leave. You know, we actually got to see a lot of, a lot of, uh, St. Petersburg and Moscow. The bands that you were playing with there, do you remember any of their names? Did you play with any Russian punk, punk bands? We played with a bunch of uh, Russian punk bands. We did most of the shows with a band called the Riot Gang. From they're from St. Petersburg. And had they researched you on the internet? Probably. I don't know. They uh, one of them could speak pretty good English, so we talked to him the most. <laughs> we tried to learn Russian, but it was just impossible. Um, it was it was a lot of fun though. It rained for a lot of it, and it was cold, and it was fun. It was far from home, and we were in Russia. Did you learn anything about Russian punk? Um, not, not really, to be honest. Uh, it's kind of strange. I think at first we were just worried about, um, speaking English in public because everyone had told us that it was a bad idea. So we were these weird, like, fish out of water, uh, you know, just being really careful of how much, uh, English spoke in public until our friend who brought us to Russia dumped basically four bottles of vodka down our throats. And I think we were, you know, having an argument in the middle of the street, clearly in English. Or maybe it's a completely different language because we we're so drunk. I'm not sure. Is that what you did on your two days off in Moscow? It was fantastic. Oh, yeah. What other places did you explore there? Like, did you go to any museums or anything? Was there a punk rock museum? Was there a punk we, rock record shop? We, no, we didn't see many record shops, which was strange. Uh, we went to Red Square. We had to do that for sure. That was, that was insane. That was great. Um, somewhere we never thought we'd make it to. And uh, what was really cool was one night, it was the first, it was, it was the night of the first show. It was after the show. Our friend Vladimir and I, he was the guy who brought us to Russia. We went to this, like, Soviet punk bar where he proceeded to dump vodka and beer into his eye, saying he was drinking with his eye. And then he turned around, took his shirt off, handed me a handful of darts, and told me that he was a dartboard. I was drunk enough to realize that this was a good idea to throw darts in my friend's back. And how much blood was there? There was, there was enough blood to make a child vomit, probably, or just be afraid of blood for a while, or even catch up. It was okay. It was all right. When you played the gigs, the people watching you, had they seen other North American bands? What was the previous North American band that they had come to see? Or were they wearing any North American band t-shirts or anything like that? Um, there were a lot of Dead to Me shirts, a lot of Strike Anywhere shirts for North American punk bands. I felt like uh, what was really prevalent was seeing upcoming tour posters for a lot of like uh, hardcore bands from all over the world, uh, like probably like more modern, like new school hardcore bands, you know, um, which was, uh, not really surprising really, but that was, that was what I noticed mostly. And you are Chris from the Flatliners who will be playing in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada tomorrow night at the Biltmore, tomorrow night at the Biltmore, right, Chris? Can't wait. With the best day of my life. With your good friends. Carpenter and Knucklehead. And Carpenter have some relation to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, don't they? They do. I believe they are citizens of Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. And they are joining you for a few gigs? Should be fun. Yep. Two nights. Two big nights. Big kids in the big city. Tomorrow night, December 8th, at the Biltmore, it's the band, the band known as the Flatliners. Where are you from exactly in Ontario? We're from Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Even though you didn't grow up in Toronto, you still call Toronto well, like the band it's home? Just, it's just easier to say. You know, We grew up in Richmond Hill and Brampton. 
but the now one of us lives in Toronto and the others live outside of the city, so it's just easiest to say Toronto. So check- it, makes us, it just makes us have more punk credibility and look cooler. And check out the Flatliners from Toronto tomorrow <laughs> at the Biltmore with Knucklehead and Carpenter. And again, thanks to Tim from the Rocket from Russia show for giving me a naive record, an actual naive record. And I just played that before. We heard right here from Chris of the Flatliners live here on the Nardwar the Human Serviette radio show. Now, Chris of the Flatliners, what is hyphy punk? Hyphy punk is just a beautiful, beautifully crafted genre of music. You know, I don't want to talk about the past. Let's talk about what's happening now. Let's talk about beautiful things like dubstep music. Let's talk about, let's talk about you know, just pop music that's terrible but, but great all at the same time. It's been such a great year. It's about time that we put together two genres that don't make any sense. Hyphy punk. I don't even know what that means. I'm not sure where you got that from. What is hyphy punk? Do you know? It sounds great. Hyphy punk. I love that you're like establishing hyphy punk as a legitimate sort of genre. Thank you. No problem. I wasn't sure I did that, but I'm glad that we came to that conclusion. Chris of the Flatliners, have you stayed at Fat Mike's mansion in Las Vegas, his hotel mansion? Have you heard about this? No, I call I call him when we, when we go to Las Vegas. He doesn't answer my phone calls. He texts me back a few days later. Um, never been. Looks nice. Looks nice from the outside. We tried to we tried to break in one time, but it didn't really work out. Because doesn't he um, rent it out occasionally to bands? I thought it's like for rent. If people want, they I can think actually... he does. I think he does. I, I I I I may have heard that he doesn't do it anymore. I, I, he may live there now, or maybe I'm completely wrong. I'm not sure. I've never I've never been there. I've never been invited, but hopefully one day. Chris of the Flatliners, have you read Sam Sutherland's book about Canadian punk, Perfect Youth? I haven't yet. I have to learn to read before I read his book. He's a good friend of mine of the whole band, and he's a genius. Uh, he usually, whenever we speak to each other, he uses words that I, I just I'm completely devoid of the understanding of the meaning of those words, which leads me to believe he's a very brilliant man. He's very funny, he's very handsome, his band's great. Um, I'm sure the book is fantastic. I've heard it's great. i got to read it. Have you read Liz Worth's punk book, Treat Me Like Dirt? No, I haven't. That's on the list, too. And have you read Don Pyle's punk photo book, Trouble in the Camera Club? Isn't that just photos? Is it... Is there, are, there, are, there, are there captions underneath as well to read? Uh, there's a few captions for the punks. Oh, perfect. That'd be a perfect book for me, then. I, I, just should, I should read that one. It's quite interesting in the past year or so to have all these great punk books come out of Toronto. Sam Sutherland's Perfect Youth, Don Pyle's Trouble in the Camera Club, Liz Worth's Treat Me Like Dirt, all those great punk books, punk heritage out there. I gotta catch up. I mean, I've just been too busy trying to uh, brandish the genre of icy punk, I guess. Chris from the Flatliners, is Fighting Cocks in London the best-named venue you have ever played? <laughs> it's, uh, it, I'll tell you this much. It's a completely, completely different vibe once you get in there. So, so it, it, it's not a very appropriately named place. So how um, much were you looking forward to playing that when you saw it listed on the tour itinerary? Oh, yeah, definitely. I was, I was, I was definitely looking to get pretty weird. Uh, didn't get that weird. What are some names of places that you've looked at and thought, hmm, this is going to be an interesting gig. I guess Fighting Cocks might have been one of them, but there's some other ones too. Like I noticed you played Swayze's. You played Swayze's in Georgia. I was thinking like Patrick Swayze. What are some interesting name venues that you've thought about? Hmm, that's interesting. Um, there was one time where we uh, played at a, what, what is it called? There's a, there's a chain of pizza places, Pizza Delight, I think it's called, in New Brunswick. That was, that was, that was pretty great. Um, there's no other, there's no other, uh, feeling than, you know, just being there, playing on stage and smelling garlic bread. It was so great.
It was fantastic. Did you get any free garlic bread? No, they charged us extra because they thought our band sucked. Have the Flatliners played Gilman Street yet? No, I'd love to. Have you Never t- have. Have you tried to? I don't think we ever have tried to. We're pretty lazy. I think, I think we have big ideas, but then we just never follow through on them. A Chris of the Flatliners, does anything rival Amigos in Saskatoon? Amigos, the legendary club where more bands have been fucked, sucked, and chucked than at any other club. Oh, I wish I, we could have sworn this whole time. This was fantastic. Uh, played there one time. The sound guy had those little metal horns that you can get underneath your skin. He had those on his head and all the way down his back, and he refused to wear a T-shirt. So at the end of the night, us and the other bands on the on the tour just took off all our shirts. And it was kind of strange, though, because things didn't get really weird. We just were casually sitting around shirtless. And then the sound guy came in and really didn't comment much on it. It was strange. Amigos always delivers, doesn't it? It's fantastic. How many times have you played Amigos? Don't tell just me. One just, time. just one time. Just once? one time. Wow, it totally delivers. How about St. Catharines, the L3? That's a classic club, isn't it? The L3 in St. Catharines? Classic club. Always fights. Uh, a friend of ours got thrown down the stairs there one time. He was asking for it, though, I think. Um, but, uh, it was, yeah, it's a fantastic place. They call it L3 because there's three levels, you know what I mean? Like, they're not, they're not fucking with anybody. It's great. Why are there always fights there? Is it because it's on three levels? It just because when people get drunk, they do foolish things sometimes, you know? I, I'm, I'm no stranger to that. And sometimes people get violent, which is a dangerous thing. And at St. Catharines, I don't know what it is. People, uh, they're alive and well, but they're just battered and bruised and they'll have to get into fights. Chris of the Flatliners, you're playing here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow, December 8th, at the Biltmore with Knucklehead and Carpenter. Have you thought about venturing down to Portland to play with the Mean Jeans? Oh, I would love to. They're an incredible band. Have you seen them in Toronto? Never seen them live. They played in Toronto in June, but I was away. We had a week between tours, so I so I left because I didn't want to be home. So I went to Jamaica, and I uh, I bought I bought weed off a of bellhop and uh, got really high in a hotel room. It was so great. Now, speaking of Jamaica, you are qualified to answer this. Could you please give us a brief history of the Toronto ska scene? Toronto ska history, please, Chris, from the Fratliners. You got it. Uh, there were bands called Susie Jacuzzi in the Hot Tubs. There were bands called uh, Hebrew School Dropouts. That was a pretty great band name. Um, basically, it was just all these bands with like a million horns in them. Uh, and then there were two bands without horns, and all these bands always played together. And uh, they all played upstrokes. Sometimes they played upstrokes while their distortion panel was still running, which is kind of crazy. Uh, a little out there. Not icy punk, really, but almost. Um, and pretty much that was it. Like, everyone was friends, and we're actually very, very glad to grow up in southern Ontario because it was easy to travel around to different cities uh, and meet people and make friends with all these bands and really not draw from one another as far as those cities were concerned. It was cool. Um it was a really cool scene to grow up on. There were a lot of a lot of great friends of ours that we still see from time to time. And uh, actually, a lot of those people are still in bands, just not in ska bands anymore, if you can believe that. I'm kind of thinking there might be a conspiracy against ska, because as you're explaining the history of ska in Toronto there, Chris, and the Fratliners, the line is kind of breaking up a tiny little bit there. Can you maybe move a bit closer to your phone or closer to your original position? Because the gods are intervening, trying to stop you from explaining the history of ska in Toronto. It's, it's a cursed thing. Exactly, my point. Um, and now you're back. It sounds good. It sounds good. Now you're back. And actually, fantastic. it also made me think you were mentioning all those great band names. I called you guys inadvertently there the Fratliners. Have you Ooh. ever been called the Fratliners before? 
We've been called the Fratliners. We've been called the Fatliners. Uh, that's pretty much it. And speaking of fat, have you ever met Toronto Mayor Rob Ford at all? I never have, but he's a very, very grotesquely fat, disgusting individual, isn't he? Have any politicians come to any of your gigs or any people that are in movies? Like you're named after the Kiefer Sutherland movie to Flatliners. Have Kiefer Sutherland at least tried to show up to one of your gigs? What's the closest you've got to Kiefer Sutherland or any politicians like Rob Ford? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, there is kind of a strange thing with the band name, though. We named it after that movie, Flatliners, when we were 14 years old. We took a vow to never, ever watch that film in case we didn't like it. Because then we'd have to live with the fact that we named our movie after, a, or we named our band after a movie we didn't like. That's just terrible. You know, that's just be so embarrassing. So we decided to never watch it. That's as close as we've come. Is the moment when I was in Blockbuster Video with my mom. I was 14 years old. And I thought, Kiefer's a weird name. Hey, Flowers, that's a cool name. You know, and that was pretty much it. And Kiefer's Canadian, too. Repping Canada. His dad is so much cooler than him now, isn't he? Yeah, well, I think they're both pretty cool. Like he's I'm still in the game. Words in your mouth. I'm sorry, Nardwar. He's still in the game. That's all I can say is he's That's still true. in the game. Like That's I think true. Kiefer is still in the game. You got to give him props for that. That's what Snoop Dogg told me is if you're in the game, <laughs> still it's important. So he's still in the game, and we're still in the game here with Chris from the Flatliners playing tomorrow night in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada at the Biltmore with Knucklehead and Carpenter, Toronto, Ontario. Punk, moving from ska to punk, have you ever played with career suicide or fucked up? No, never. Ever, ever. What's we're the... always away. We're always away on tour. It's just terrible. What's the punk... I think we're going to retire from touring just so we can play in Toronto all the time. What's the punkest band from Toronto that you've played with? Like, you played Punktoberfest with the bunch of fucking goofs. That's got to be the... That's... They're probably the punkest band from Toronto and always will be. Like, could you explain that gig and tell me about Punktoberfest? Punktoberfest uh, was something that we played when we were really young. That is so insane that you know that. Um, it was it was in Newmarket, Ontario, just north of Toronto, but they would always bring all these bands up from Toronto. Bunch of fucking goofs was one of them. That particular show we were supposed to play right after them, which didn't really make sense. Um, they had two bass players, and they played for an hour and a half. I went we, to... go, we, were, like, we, were, we didn't even drive then. We were waiting for our parents to come pick us up from the show. They were really, really pissed off. Uh, and they really weren't. They asked us what BFG stood for, and we told them the name. And I think one of our parents threw up. And it was just terrible. Um, they're probably the punkest band ever, though. And you are Chris Cresswell, right? I am. Chris Cresswell is an award-winning composer whose music spans a variety of genres, including works for large and chamber ensembles, voice, solo instruments, as well as electroacoustic music. That is not you, is it? That's not me, but it sounds like he would really enjoy my heisty punk. Have you ever experienced a gentleman known as Chris Cresswell? Do you know who I'm talking about? Have you stumbled upon him? I uh, I have a Google alert set up for my own name. Uh, so, no, that's just that's, a, that's an awful joke. No, I've never heard of this guy. I think you're making him up. I don't believe you. No, he does exist. And there's another okay. Chris Cresswell who's a magician. Oh, perfect. A magician. Yes, and there was an interview with him playing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and I thought, hmm, wow, the Flatliners are playing the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. You know, sometimes they have bands and play and stuff like that. You never played the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, did you? Never, ever. I think i got to quit this band and get into the magic scene and then uh, probably play Fringe Festival. So maybe these guys are getting gigs on your back, like, hey, I'm Chris Cresswell from the Flatliners. Okay, <laughs> we'll let you in there. You're comedy. I mean, the Flatliners are comedy, aren't you guys? 
I mean, I suppose, yeah, it depends on your level of sense of humor, but probably, yeah. But some generic comedy for you guys must be like when you got towed away. People would enjoy hearing that story, wouldn't they? You getting towed away? Was it the one when our guitarist Scott was still in the van? Yeah. He woke up in the impound lot but didn't have a key to start the ignition because it was our old van and there was one key for the door and one key for the ignition. Quite amazing that he was like towed away. That's quite scary. Like and you, you were saying that he, like the car, the van was illegally parked. Was it a car or was it a van? It was a van. It was an old white van with a blue uh, side door. Beautiful, beautiful bitch. Um, and uh, he, uh, he, went, he went to bed uh, the night before. You know, and uh, admittedly, probably a bit of a drunken stupor in Ardwar. I'm not going to steer you wrong here. You know, I'm not going to blow smoke. Um, and he, uh, he he awoke with his giant melon full of pain, uh, just a big, big hangover. And uh, he didn't drive at the time, you know. And I think he woke up momentarily and felt that we were moving and called out, where are we going? And no one answered. So we went right back to bed. And then he woke up a few moments later, you know. Uh, and uh, he was just ri- arriving into the impound lot. But just before he realized where he was, he looked up, thought the van was moving, looked at the receipt, and did not see a person behind the wheel. That must have been a pretty hairy situation to be in, you know? Um, I think he almost threw up or, you know, I don't know, defecated in his pants or something like that. But either way, we got him back, paid $450 to get our guitarist and our van back. And it was really, I mean, like, the guitarist, he was completely replaceable. It was just a van that was just so great. Baboom. But it's pretty scary, though, if you're getting towed away. You were saying he was, like, way up there because you're on top of, like, that flatbed. It's pretty scary. Like, he could have died. Like, the van could have tipped over or something. The van could have died. Oh, he could have died. Yeah, he could have died, I suppose. Yeah, the van could have rolled over, too, and just gotten oh, just a world of trouble. A lot of money. But the know? impound lot guys are like, ah, just a bunch of punks. Who cares, right? Who cares? Yeah. They didn't cut us any deal, though, pricks. And hopefully you will care about the Flatliners who are playing tomorrow night, early show, tomorrow night, early show at the Biltmore in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada with Knucklehead and Carpenter. What about the rest of your guys in your band, your old band, Chris, short notice? What happened to them? (laughs) Um, I think one of them is a, a, a policeman now and one of them is just a handsome guy. Really? Really a cop? That's a really interesting social study. So he was in a punk band when he was younger, and then now he's a cop? I think it happens a lot, don't you think? I don't know. Have you heard of that happening? Not really. I was just wondering if you'd ever heard of it. Uh, No, uh, what happened was uh, our old drummer, his name was Chris, he... uh, we just felt like creatively we were going in different paths. You know, we were in grade nine. You know, we knew what we wanted, you know? Uh, we were just 14, like on cloud nine, top of our game. And we just felt like, you know what, we know a guy who can play drums. And uh, it just seemed like a better fit. It broke our hearts to do it. A few months before that, John, our current bass player now, replaced our old bass player, James, who's the handsome guy. Um, and John's handsome too, don't get me wrong. But either way, uh, John was the newest member of the time. So when we brought in our current drummer, Paul, to be the new guy, uh, we made John break the news to our old drummer, Chris, over MSN Messenger that he couldn't be in the band with us anymore. Like I said, we were in grade nine. We knew exactly what we wanted and how to go about things. And, um, and yeah, he, uh, they used to sit next to each other in math and science class. The next day, for some strange reason, it was a weird coincidence, but uh, Chris ended up sitting on the other side of the room for a while. Moved away from John, broke John's heart. And you are Chris from the Flatliners. Chris touring with the Flatliners in Thunder Bay. I saw those video clips of you guys in that abandoned mall. What can you tell people about the abandoned mall in Thunder Bay? 
there was this death metal band uh, performing some sort of sacrifice or something just just delicious like that, and uh, it was in it was in this abandoned mall, and uh, we were we had we had our wits about us, you know, we were keeping our head in a swivel, you know, looking around trying to get to the bottom of this satanic activity, uh, and we just got, you know, admittedly dark where we got afraid, and we ran away. But the abandoned mall, though, seemed fascinating. Was it like a huge mall, totally abandoned? It had like a nice chandelier in it? What was going on in there with the abandoned mall? I'm not mall? sure what it was. It was either mafia-owned or it was just it, it was like a, a coke den, probably. I'm not sure. And in another tour video, you guys found a Band-Aid in a pizza. Did we find a Band-Aid in a pizza, gentlemen? Oh, it was a pizza meat that looked like a Band-Aid. And, of course, you ate it. I think someone, someone did eat it, right? Someone ate it, yeah. It never felt better. It's great that you're into the Tubby Dog, too. Ooh. I, I, I think love that place. It's a great, great hot dog place in Calgary, Alberta, but you got takeout. How could you get takeout from Tubby Dog? That's kind of stupid, isn't it? It is. Not where you're right. It's very, very foolish, and it's one of the most embarrassing moments of my life, um, going to Tubby Dog and getting it to go. It was, uh, it was just, we were tight on time, and you know what? It was just an insane feeling being on stage after wolfing down two hot dogs from Tubby Dog out of, you know. But could you explain, uh, they're not any sort of hot dogs, they're Tubby Doggy ones. Oh, what, could you, tubby ex- yeah, what ex- could you explain to people what was in your dog? I, I think I got the Sumo Dog, which I believe is, uh, there's wasabi mayonnaise on that. There's uh, seaweed on it, and uh, Japanese sesame. It's just delicious. And some of them also have, like, Count Chocula on them, if you want, right? Uh, they have a Captain Crunch and Peanut Butter one. Never tried that one. Never been, uh, never been much of a daredevil, you know? But, uh, yeah, pretty good. And yeah, I, it sounds very adventurous. And I take that back. You're not stupid for getting takeout, because <laughs> I had heard, actually, that Elton John, Elton John gets takeout from Tubby Dog. Elton really? John. Did he go in there himself? He gets takeout. I think somebody gets it for him, gets takeout. Yeah. So you're in the same league of Elton John. Oh, my goodness. Me, the magician, and Elton John. On your spring tour in 2011, in the little video that you had posted there, you guys were saying, there's a rave next door. And it made me wonder, what have you played next door to? When you guys are doing gigs, what have you played next door? Was there a rave next door? What other gigs have you done where there's some wild stuff happening right next door to you? Ooh, um, that's a good question. It's just, I don't have much of a recollection of my entire life. It's tough to answer these questions seriously. Um, or a lot. Say that usually there, you know, there are bar fights that break out in City Nova Scotia when you see a guy get punched in the nose and just knock out in one punch, leading us always referring to it as the Sydney One Punch, an infamous, infamous event in our lives. Uh, please um, explain what happened there. Oh, someone was uh, attempting to drive home drunk and their friend was being very, very kind, uh, yet stern, you know, and uh, really. <laughs> really was looking out for his friend's life. You know, he didn't want his friend to die, wrap his car around a telephone pole, what have you. You know, uh, and uh, he, he attempted to uh, commandeer his friend's keys, and it, uh, he was met with a knuckle sandwich. I'm sad to say, not a word, right in the face. And uh, Sydney One Punch, baby. That Chris, on the ground. Cold ground. Chris, cold. Chris of the Flatliners... What was Power Rangers Live like? I, excuse me, did you just ask what Power Rangers Live was like? Yeah. Wow. You have an incredible research team, and I believe it's all you, and I applaud you for that. Power Rangers Live was a fantastic, fantastic afternoon that I went uh, 
it was probably one of the best days of my entire childhood. My old man, my father, you know, whatever, Warren Cresswell. I don't know if there's a magician or a, or a high feet punk rocker out there by the name of Warren Cresswell. He took me to Power Rangers Live and bought me, uh, I think he bought me the wrong Power Ranger on a t-shirt and I flipped out at him because I was just a brat, you know? Uh, what it would it be to be a kid again? So great. Best day of my life, Narlar. Have you ever played with the casualties? Uh, we played a couple of festivals with the casualties, I believe, but never a normal club show. And how about the toy dolls? Toy dolls, ooh. Got groove, ooh. Fantastic. We actually know our, our, our friend Tom, who used to play in a band called Goober Patrol. He now plays in toy dolls. He's been playing with them for, I think, about five years now. What? And uh, never, never played with them, but they're fantastic. Could you explain the fest? How do they do the fest in Florida? Are all the gigs packed? Is it No Idea Records that's putting it all together? Basically, yeah, it is. Uh, and, and there are so many bands that travel from all over, I, I guess at this point, for the last few years even, just from all over the world, uh, to play at the fest. And it's a, it's a, it's a three-day-long, it's, it's, it's officially a three-day-long weekend, but there are always pre-fest shows. For some reason, there are post-fest shows. I thought everyone died a little bit after every weekend going to the fest. That's exactly how you feel, at least. Um, but uh, it, it's, it's really cool, because you can see a lot of great bands that uh, are even just starting out, and they can play to a bunch of people, a really good crowd, and have a really good reaction. It's, it's one of the best places for a new band to play, and it's just one of the best places for any punk band to, to really partake in and, and see how great it is. Is there a weight room there for bands to work out? There is, yeah. Oh, I, know. I think I know where this is going. You can also smoke weed in that weight room if you want. Does the Warp Tour have that too? Because I know the Warp Tour has prayer groups. Does the Warp Tour have a weight room? Do bands work out? Do they go for runs and stuff? And you've been on the weight Warp Tour? Uh, probably. I'm not sure. Usually, usually there are a lot of gargantuan-looking men in very loud metalcore bands on Warp Tour. So I'd imagine so. And you are Chris from the Flatliners, playing tomorrow in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, at the Biltmore. And Chris, you guys did Reading and Leeds. What bands were you playing around? Was there like a crazy lineup? Because usually at those gigs, some pretty interesting lineups. Our uh, our stage uh, specifically was really great. It was um, Trash Talk played. That was a mind-blowing experience to see those guys play that weekend. Um, Turbo Negro played with their new singer. Gallows played with their new singer. Um, and stop for just one sec. I sorry to interrupt. Does anybody get mad when bands have new singers? Like you toured with Pennywise, I think, and they replace their singer, and you just well, mentioned they have their old singer back. They do. I did not know. Well, wow, breaking news. Is that true? <laughs> yeah, he's apparently he's coming back to the band. They announced it uh, just recently. But how does that work out? You were saying that Turbo Negro had their new singer, that the Gallows had their new singer. How do people, you know, regard that sort of thing? I think it depends on the band and the singer because it can, it can work really well and it can't work out so great for other bands. Um, I just think that if if that if that new singer coming in has like confidence and all and, and obviously like skill behind it, then people will give them a chance because there's always it's always worth it to give that person a chance. They're a musician just like the other people in the band. Um, well, how do I they... do I do understand with, with with some bands a lot of people look to the singer as being the one uh, you know like centrifugal force of that band, but sometimes it's just not true. And how about in Reading and Leagues? How about the Gallows? How were they received then? It was it was it was fantastic, especially them being a UK band with a Canadian singer. It was really cool to see. And yeah. who else was on that lineup? Uh, who else played that day? Um, who else played our day? Leagues and Reading. I'm just asking the, the fellows here. Les and Jake headlined those shows. Um, me first in the Gimme Gimme's played. Uh, Good Riddance played. How about on the largest new band played called Mongol Horde? 
And how about on oh, the... a, really, a really great band called Apologies I Have None from the UK played as well. They were cool. How about on the larger, huge stage? Did you get backstage when you had a huger, larger stage or area? Um, the Foo Fighters headlined our days, and our drummer Paul is a massive Foo Fighters fan, and he managed to weasel his way back there and got one of the coolest tour passes ever as a souvenir, as a keepsake for it. It's just Dave Grohl's face in place of George Washington, I believe, on a dollar bill. It's so great. What were the hints for getting backstage from the Flatliners? I'm not sure. I think I think a friend of ours just gave in the past. Nothing really crazy. But what I could suggest is um, using extreme brute force, uh, attempting to do that to get backstage, but then getting your ass handed to you. Chris from the Flatliners, tattoos. Did you show the D4, your D4 tattoo, the Dillinger 4, your Dillinger 4 tattoo? I did. Um, it was kind of strange. I wasn't sure if they recognized what it was or just felt kind of potentially awkward about fact that I was showing them a Dillinger 4 tattoo because I showed them my Dillinger 4 tattoo which is uh, the the monkey it's like the monkey mask from their record Situation is Comedy in a in like a Paps Blue Ribbon ribbon so it's kind of like just uh, me telling the Midwest how much I love it uh, and I showed it to Dillinger 4 and all they had to say was oh yeah Billy has a monkey tattoo as well and that was it so I'm not sure I'm not sure I'm not sure how to feel about that really do you have any other band tattoos that aren't your own I have a Strike Anywhere tattoo, um, and I have a Hostage Life tattoo, which were, they were a great band from Toronto, Ontario, Canada, North America, Planet Earth. I also have um, a tour tattoo that we got with members of Lagwagon uh, a couple months ago, and I believe that's it for, for band tattoos. Now, how many of those were a result of like losing a poker game? Oh, probably every single one of them, and every tattoo I'll ever get from now on. Are you guys sponsored by Obey? Do you get to meet the Obey guy, Shepard Ferry? No, I'd love to. I, uh, we, we, we got some free shirts from them one time. It was pretty cool. Uh, they fit really nice, really warm in the winter, really scandalously clad in the summer. It's great. But best of both worlds, uh, never met Shepard Ferry. That'd be kind of cool. So Flatliners, Chris, you're coming to Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada, tomorrow to the Biltmore with Knucklehead and Carpenter, what are your interactions with the Vancouver, B.C. band, The Real Mackenzies? Um, you know what? I, I can't recall if we've ever actually played a, a legitimate show together. I don't think we have, but we've, uh, we've known some of the guys that have just kind of dipped in and out of the band uh, over the years. Sean Sellers, who uh, he was in Good Riddance, uh, was in The Real Mackenzies for a while. And uh, I think we've, we've definitely spent time with some of the members, but never, never played with them. I remember seeing them uh, on a tour years ago. It was a Mad Caddies headlining tour. Rise Against opened for the Mad Caddies, and the Real Mackenzies played before Rise Against. And I think I saw the singer's testicles. I hope you did. Actually, maybe... I'm pretty pretty sure I did. Maybe I should have rephrased the question, or maybe I should have asked the question, have you been asked yet to join the Real Mackenzies? That Uh, probably would have been a proper (laughs) question. Not yet. I'm going to try the the magic game first. Maybe I can do that. Now, they told me that they once played a gig with no effects at the House of Blues in Los Angeles. And at the end of the gig, they kind of hushed everybody down. Like, be quiet, be quiet. There's another gig happening. And the real McKenzie's like, yeah, yeah, another gig's happening. And it turned out to be a Prince show, an unannounced Prince show. Oh, wow. Have you had anything like that with no effects? Where, like, you've done a gig and it's an early show and then they break it down and a famous huge band plays right after you? I don't think so. I think usually on those tours we did with no effects, we were just... uh we, we would completely overstay or welcome in the venue and get booted out by the staff. How about any celebrities showing up backstage like Mike McGee from Stomp Records? Mike McGee from Stomp Records, yeah. 
he's been known to show up backstage at some of our shows. Um, other than that, no one really. No one really. We uh, we played in Calgary last night, and we learned that our friend lives with Tron from Fubar, but he didn't come to the show. So, yeah, kind of depressing, actually. Really had to take a look at myself in the mirror and just ask myself what the hell I'm doing with my life, you know? Chris from the Flatliners wanted to end the interview with a CD that I have here that says Flatliners Demo 2002, the flatliners.cjb.net. Do you have one of those in your hand right now? I'm holding it right now. Interesting. What particular track should we play to end the Nardwar to Human Serviette radio show from the Flatliners Demo from two, the demo. 2002? <laughs> I would say uh, we, we, let's, let's play a song called Get Out of My Face. That's track number four. What can you tell the people about track number four from the Flatliners Demo 2002? I can tell you that we just... Uh, relearned the song the other day. That was fun. Uh, and uh, our, our old friend, uh, his name is Rob Hasby, quite a fantastic gentleman. There was a rumor going around when we were in school, uh, young chaps as we were, uh, that uh, the song was about him because I got mad at him one day. And to be honest with you, I thought about him at all, so it was pretty embarrassing for him when he found out the real, uh, real subject matter of the song. You know what's fascinating is right now you're talking about your Flatliners demo, which is ska-tinged. There's some ska-tingedness to this, isn't there? You got it, yeah. And the phone line is again acting up. Isn't that wild? Every- isn't it? Oh, it's too- I'm, I'm sorry about that, Nardwar. No, just every time you're talking about ska, it kind of like your voice just drifts off. It's like people <laughs> don't want ska. I love ska. I love ska. Thank you for relearning the song. But it's weird. It gets such a bad rap that ska, like the, the sound quality of interviews with people that were in ska or in ska bands sometimes deteriorate when you talk about the history of ska. So here we have track four, Get Out of My Face by the Flatliners. Anything else you want to add to the people out there at all, Chris, from the Flatliners? Nardwar, I've just been waiting my whole life to say this to you, and I just want to say, keep on rocking in the free world. Well, do 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 do. Well, thank you, do do. Thank you. I can't say that. What are you making me do? Thank I'm you. so sorry. I'm so sorry. I instantly regret saying that. Oh my god. No, I, don't be mad at me. actually, I don't mind you doing that. You know, <laughs> let, you can do the work. You can do the work there. That could, makes it a, a bit easier there. But thanks so much, anyways, Chris from the Flatliners. Really appreciate you calling in. Keep on rocking in the free world and do do the loot do. Do do. Thank you, Nardwar. <laughs>
You're still listening to the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show. That was the Flatliners with Get Out of My Face and Catch the Flatliners tomorrow night at the Biltmore here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada with Knucklehead and Carpenter. To end the Nardwar the Human Serviette Radio Show, going to play something by a band that's going to be playing in about an hour, in about one hour. A free show is happening at Neptune Records in Vancouver, a free in-store at Neptune, The Angry Snowman, The Angry Snowmans, The Angry Snowmans are playing. Yes, The Angry Snowmans are playing at Neptune Records at 6 p.m. today at Neptune Records, and they're a great Christmas punk band that you should check out playing again, as I mentioned, right now, pretty much in an hour at Neptune Records doing a free in-store. Again, I'm going to play something by them right now as well. The song Eggnog. And you can check them out in an hour at Neptune Records, a free in-store. It's the Angry Snowmans on the Nardwar, the Human Serviette Radio Show. Dog in me, that's right. 
Shoot the 